Hello, Aggie fans, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Sports Desk Podcast, the official podcast of the Utah Statesman. I'm your host, Parker Valentine, and rejoining me again, retaking his throne, King of the Thursday Show, it's Jacob Nelson. Jacob, what's up, man? How are you? I'm back. You're back. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I don't know why you didn't make time for me on Thanksgiving weekend to come out and record with me, but um, but that's fine. How was your How was your Thanksgiving? I was splendid. I was down down in the sun down at Newport Beach where my my dad's family's from and uh yeah it was just it was a little preview actually because we took the trip down there yeah, you'll be back this week. week I'll be back this week so yeah man it's uh it's good good stuff and uh good good I think it yeah Thanksgiving weekend is always good when there is college football and it's always better when you're winning college football games and it's even better when you win a college football game and then San Diego State beats the Boise State Broncos to make sure you play in the championship game. So I had a great week as well. Uh, plus there was some basketball sprinkled in there too. So a lot to talk about today. Um, let's jump right in. Uh, let's start with the obvious Utah State football. They're playing in the Mountain West Championship game. Um, let's talk about that first. And then I just want to get your initial th- thoughts on that. Uh, and then we'll probably start off with uh, some basketball talk and then spend most of our time on football um, to wrap up the show. So just what are your initial thoughts on Utah State being back in a championship game for the first time in eight years, right, since 2013, second time ever? What's going through your head, man? How are you, how are you feeling? Well, Parker, I'll say this. Like, you know, it's kind of the season. It's turned into a little bit of, like, we get in the trap of and with basketball, the bubble watch, and we're always like, oh, is Utah State going to make the tournament? That same thing kind of happened with with football like the yeah. past couple of weeks you've been like oh can they make the championship game and that's been the main storyline and it's right. something that you've been talking about ever since they defeated air way force too long <laughs> way too early but it turns that's out that it yeah. came to fruition and now that it's finally here like oh this happened like we've been trying we've been crunching yeah. the numbers we've been seeing our, how do we match up against people and it's finally here so that's really really exciting i know that the team yeah, this is this is their end goal is to win the championship. They'll tell you that all the time. But a lot of the seniors, a lot of super seniors that came back from last year's team to this year's team, they came back because they thought they could win the, the Mountain West Championship, and obviously nobody did besides them, but they did. And right. now they have – Well, them and me. <laughs> the team and Parker Valentine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden on Saturday, it's they got 60 minutes to prove it. Um, it's, it's crazy. Nick Henniger yesterday in the Mountain – the Mountain West uh, press conference, he said, he they, this is not word for word what he said, but in essence he said, I would rather win the Mountain West championship game than make the NFL. Wow. That's what, like he said, that's a bigger goal of mine right now than to make the NFL. That's cool. Which and, is and that crazy. Just, that's crazy. And I think it also speaks to like what these guys are focused on because I'm sure all of those guys would love to play at the next level. But for Nick Henniger to say that, and I'm sure it's, something that's crossed his mind you know I, I it's something he probably has thought about but for him to say that he'd rather win a championship game at this moment in time than make the NFL I think that's where the whole team is at and there's guys on this team that might have a shot to play on Sundays next year and I think that just speaks to the mental strength and the focus that coach Blake Anderson has drilled into these guys and we talked a little bit about it on Monday just like the physical and mental toughness of this team I think that just shows how like mentally focused these guys are like they don't care what happens two weeks from now they're about to win a championship this week like that's what they're focused on and then it'll be winning a bowl game and then for a lot of those guys it'll be oh let's focus on nfl let's focus on next year or whatever but 
these guys are just so focused. It's kind of been like their motto all year, like go one and zero every week, right? Each week is a new week. They go one and zero. So I, I think that just shows like a high level of mental strength and and focus on this team. And that's how you win nine games. Frankly, like you have to got to be focused on on the field and off the field. So that's that's awesome. Nick Henniger's the man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, and it's it's a focus from the bottom up. And one thing I've heard is how how young the staff is, right, on right. the coaching staff. And it's almost like they just instead of like the the old guys that are getting the paychecks and telling them what to do, like they're they're in battle with them step step for step every week, right? Like Kyle Seflo on the on the game is he's he's throwing the ball around with all his wide receivers getting warmed up and so they feel like with this coaching staff and with each other, they just, they feel like this is like we're all in this together, right? And that's a little bit of cliche, something that you hear a lot from winning teams, but there, there's a reason for that. Like it, that's kind of what it takes is this collective mentality of like let's go to war against the world, and that's that's what they've done, and uh, they're gonna continue that in this Saturday. Yeah, it's it's paid off so far, and hopefully it continues to pay off. Um, we still have basically, I mean, it's not guaranteed technically, but we still have two games left, um, and the, so there's two two wins on the table, and the team doesn't want to leave them there for sure. So uh, we start off the uh, postseason with the championship game against San Diego State. Um, something that a lot of teams don't get to do. You know, there's there's more teams that get bowl games than play in championship games. So this is huge to be able to be in a championship game and then chase that away with a bowl game, hopefully a bowl game win, uh, quite possibly a bowl game in L.A. Um, in the, uh, what is it, L.A. Bowl. The Jimmy it's Kimmel L.A. Jimmy, Bowl. Yeah, some late night host, Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, um, who, has a, as a side note, John Hartwell the other day on Twitter. Or no, it was I was in an interview. John Hartwell was talking about um, the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl and mentioned that, our very own Ajay Salvinson might be a more entertaining character <laughs> than Jimmy Kimmel. And I, I thought that was true. Ajay is pretty funny. Um, so let's move on. Let's talk about basketball. We will we'll bring it back to football, and we'll be talking about that championship game um, against the San Diego State Aztecs a little bit more. But let's talk about this Hoops team because they're on a tear right now. They have won six straight um, with some pretty big names on there, Richmond being one, Oklahoma being one. New Mexico State's a name that we're really familiar with. They're a good team. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Texas Arlington and uh, Carroll College as well. Um, how are you feeling about where they're at? Because this has been awesome the last six games. I mean, that UC Davis loss is hurting a little bit more now than it was. But um, we got a six-game win streak going into a really tough stretch here against St. Mary's and BYU. So uh, what's going on on the hardwood? Yeah, no, it's really impressive with what they've done, obviously, Things couldn't have gone better on their East Coast trip. I'm sure you've discussed this, but right. I, that win over Oklahoma was massive. I mean, they are trailing for much of the second half, and they find a way to get that done. That was a very tournament-esque win. Like it was, it was a it was a tournament, tournament championship, right, yeah. but just also the stakes with it. Like it was, it was one of those games where kind of every possession, like you could, you could feel the nerves, right? Yeah. Justin Bean even said the same thing in his post-game interview. He said it felt just like March, and exactly he would know he's been there a couple times. Yeah, and for him to perform the way that he did, and it, it just showed that game just showed to me like okay, like the veteran leadership on this team with him and Brandon and even Ryland Jones, like it's something that you gotta have a lot of confidence in and kind of the calming effect of Coach Odom. Uh, I think it goes hand in hand with kind of that team's mentality pretty well. Yeah, and the the first game of the season obviously got the best of them. UC Davis just like we we we, we beat that with a. We beat that to death. Like it, it's there. It's an L, but all you can do yeah. is just keep moving forward, and they have a chance for another 
massive, massive victory at home. You got a yeah. you got a big time team coming to the spectrum today, St. Mary's, and they are number thirty three in Ken Palm. They have a couple of quality wins already this season, and it's gonna it's gonna be a dogfight. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that UC Davis loss, as unfortunate as it is, this won't be the last time we talk about it. That's going to be one that if we are even anywhere near the bubble towards the end of the season, that's going to be one that we're going to have to talk about. So we will leave that conversation for later because we're going to be forced to talk about it at some point. But right now, I'd rather focus on the game that you're talking about, Jacob, St. Mary's. Um, We also have right after that BYU, and then in a week, um, or what is that? And then just 10 days later, we play Iowa. They're currently – you know, flirting with the top 25 as well. They received, like, what, nine votes in the eight people. Um, so a huge opportunity to really boost that resume in the non-conference, starting with St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a good team. They're for real. They are currently 7-1, and one, and, like, they've, they've looked really good. They beat an Oregon team that was ranked at the time. Their only loss is to Wisconsin. Um, beat Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame. Um, so this, this is going to be a huge one at home. You know, they, St. Mary's fulfilling their, their contractual obligation to come back to Logan, which uh, I know they did not want to do, and who can blame them. But um, what do you think happens in this game? Where do you think this goes? Well, I mean, it's hard to bet against the Aggies in the spectrum, but something that is interesting to watch out for is, one, how effective Utah State is passing the ball, and their assist rate is 67%. Which is huge. Every time they get a field goal, 67% of the time, someone it's it's an assist like there's 67 yeah. percent of their field goals are assisted yeah which is that, huge and that's it's, big time it's something um after the the carroll college game um some, somebody asked coach odom like hey you guys have had like 26 assists in back-to-back games and he's like i've never had a team that's done this before yeah so part of it is an odom thing and the teamwork but also just kind of the personnel the fact that they've gelled together like they have so early on and that's really great but on the other hand saint mary's are, they are number one in the nation in limiting defenses to assists. The opponent's assist percentage against St. Mary's is 29.9%. So this is like yeah. Utah State's number two at their 67%. So it's almost like a immovable object against an unstoppable force, right? Like yeah, that's exactly what it what's, is. What's going to happen yeah. is St. Mary's, is their defense going to be able to shut down Utah State and make them turn it into a lot of like just dribble drive action, which the Aggies don't want to do, or is Utah State going to be able to pick them apart and get open looks and uh, yeah, make easy shots? So that's really going to be an interesting thing. And I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but I you can't bet against the Aggies. Yeah, in you, the certainly, spectrum. you certainly can't bet against the Aggies. Uh, the one concerning thing for me is we will be wearing our black jerseys. Um, and as you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I have not been a fan of those black jerseys um, ever, really. And they seem to be uh, seem to be cursed so far, at least on uh, on the football side of things. But I think you're exactly right. Utah State is not a team that you're going to bet against, certainly not at home. Um, I think a lot of what this game is going to come down to is who you're going to have right at the top of the scoring, right? Is it going to be Justin Bean, or are they going to be able to stop Justin Bean, and where does that scoring come from? And I think a big part of that is going to be bench production. Um, I certainly haven't been disappointed in the bench production so far this year, Um, but as you noted on Twitter, I think, a couple days ago, I think we're still waiting on 
that Alfonso Anderson type player to really separate himself from everybody else on the bench and to settle into a really, really a reliable sixth man. I'm really high on Steven Ashworth. I think he has the potential to do it. Z Hamoda looks really, really good. He's looked really good, in, especially in that last game against Carroll College. Uh, he looked really good. Um, so I think I think it's going to come down to where the scoring is coming from from for Utah State. Uh, they have a lot of weapons, and you know how they how they utilize those weapons. How Ryan Odom can use those weapons is going to be uh, kind of a, a a huge factor on on offense. Yeah, I think your most potent scorer off the bench it has to be Steven Ashworth. Um, yeah. He's he's a six guy. He usually comes in, replaces RJ, mm-hmm. right there, kind of the first wave of substitutions, and he's he's the best shooter on the team. It's tricky because he's not super tall, right? And yeah. he he can create his own shot, but not consistently. He's not he's, somebody. He's that's not like the Brock Miller catch and shoot. You know, he he can dribble a little bit more than that, but he's not. Yeah, like you said, he's he's not really out there creating his own shots like at a high high clip yet. Anyways, exactly, but. If you're looking at, okay, if if it's going to take 70-plus points to defeat a team like St. Mary's, where are those points coming from? And obviously Justin Bean, if he can get up into the 20s every night in big games, that's yeah. fantastic. But that's I don't know if that's necessarily fair to him because a lot of a lot of his points he can create for himself, and he's shown this season he can shoot and he can make plays. But a lot of it is also just he has that knack for getting to the ball and just getting putbacks. Yeah, a lot and of them come He just putbacks. gets a couple of gimmies and – those are stuff that he can't necessarily control. Like, there's things he can do to um, provide himself with better opportunities to get those. Yeah. But there's going to be nights where the ball just doesn't fall in his lap, right? Yeah. And so you can't necessarily rely on him to get 24 points every night. So you look at, all right, who's going to step up and get some points, and then that's when you're like, is RJ going to make a few more buckets, or can Steven come off the bench and maybe hit three threes in one game? You know, and so yeah. something to think about. Yeah, I think the unsung hero on probably both sides of the court, but especially on offense, has been Brandon Horvath. He has been, I think, overlooked a little bit, um, and I think he might be overlooked or underappreciated if you are comparing him to Nemeus Keda because he kind of is the replacement for Keda in a way, um, but that's just not the style of basketball that we play really. And Brandon Horvath has looked really, really good. He's shown that he can get up into the 20s. He can score at a high clip. He can shoot. He can put the ball on the floor. Um, He can do a lot more than your average center can. I mean, he's maybe a little bit shorter than the average center. Um, But I think Brandon Horvath, as kind of an unsung hero of this team and consistently kind of coming in as a number two scorer, uh, has a lot to do with this team's success or failure. I think a lot of it rides on Brandon Horvath as well. It's absolutely true, and one concern I have about Brandon Horvath is one thing you know you're going to get from Justin Bean every night is just his 110% effort. Yeah, Brandon Horvath, just the way he plays with his size, it's easy to think, man, like, can this guy be just a little bit more physical on yeah. both ends of the court? And that's something that there have been games, like the Richmond game, where we're like, dude, like this guy is just tearing it up, and he's just going to war out there. And then there were games like the UT Arlington game where he felt a little bit more passive and yeah. kind of just like he was going through the motions, running up and down the court. Yep. And so we need to see a Brandon Horvath that is playing 110% every single night. And that's something that I'm sure for him, that's his intention to do. It's just that's not a first nature for every basketball player just to, to be like that. So like maybe yeah. he's looking for, to get his open shot or to 
just lock down his assignment and he's not as concerned about kind of the whole picture. Yeah. But he's somebody that when he is at that high level, he's so, so effective. But we haven't seen that every game in, in terms of effort. Yeah. And you bring up Richmond versus the UT Arlington game. Against Richmond, he scores 18, which is close to his season high. He scored 19 against UC Davis, 20 against uh, Carroll College. You also brought up that UT Arlington game. That game, I mean, talk about passive. He scored two points that whole game. Um, And so we've definitely seen a wide variance in what he's able to do on offense that we really haven't seen from Justin Bean. Um, Justin Bean goes out there and consistently scores in double digits. I mean, he's bringing in a double-double constantly. Um, His lowest on the season is 14 points against Carroll College where he sat most of the game because we won the game by 30. So Justin Bean is certainly more of a reliable offensive player. He's probably more reliable in every facet of his game. He's and that's what he does. He goes out and gets boards. He gets putbacks. He's developed a shot that's looked really, really good actually so far. Um, but Brandon Horvath, I think the difference between him scoring two and the difference between him scoring 18 could be the difference between a win and a loss against a good team. Granted, the game we won, the game he only scored two, we won, but it was it was against an inferior opponent. Um, going up against a team like St. Mary's, looking into the future, Iowa and BYU, and getting in a conference play, I don't think we can afford Brandon Horvath to score two points on the night. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Can I run through Justin Bean's stat line from each game just really, really fast? Just his points and rebounds. Yeah, just, go for it's, it. It's astonishing it's, what he's been able yeah, to do. Yeah, I think some of the listeners are going to think you're making some of these numbers up, but go for it because he's been playing out of his mind this year. So first game, the loss UC Davis, he had 16 points and 13 rebounds. Um, the win against Richmond, he had 33 points and 15 rebounds. Against Penn, he had 33 points and 16 rebounds. So that's back-to-back games, 33 points, 15-plus rebounds. Against New Mexico State, he had 17 points and 7 rebounds, and that was a, similar to the UT Arlington, game, UT Arlington game and the Carroll game. That was a game Yaggies were leading big, so he, he wasn't playing late. And then against Oklahoma, he had 24 points and 19 rebounds against his uh, his his hometown team, right? Yep. And then against UT Arlington, he has 24 points and 10 rebounds. And then in 24 minutes played against Carroll College, he has 14 points and 11 rebounds. So it, it was almost like he just went in there and just like he grabbed just, his double. He showed double up. Left. He yeah. showed up and got his double double. And yeah. yeah, so it's incredible. He's been a double double machine his whole career, but this is the the first time that he has been needed offensively as much as he is, yet he's still just every bit as effective yeah. on the glass, which yeah. isn't always the case. Sometimes, you know, if you su- have such a high usage rate on offense, uh, on defensively, maybe you're not flying around and going as hard in the paint yeah. as, as you regularly would, but that's not yeah. the case with Bean. So. Well, yeah, I mean, these guys are human, so they only have X amount of energy to expend in a night. They get tired just like everybody else does, and so what you see is a lot of times on offense – uh, if guys are doing more, they'll slack off on defense. Uh, and, and if you see guys like Justin Bean, we've mentioned his three-point shooting, which has increased um, both in quantity and quality this year. Uh, three-point shooters tend to not get a lot of rebounds because they're farther away from the basket. It doesn't seem to bother Justin Bean very much. Um, this guy, yeah, he's, he's unreal this year. Um, 24 minutes to get a double-double. I get that it was an inferior opponent, but that's still crazy. Um, so he, he's been playing really, really well. Uh, we can obviously count on that to continue. Um, I knew he was going to be the star of this team, but I am a little bit shocked at how much of the star he's been. Um, he's leading this, the team in basically every stat and 
just putting the team on his back. Um, there's other guys that I'm really excited to see where they develop into. I've talked a lot about Ryland Jones on the show. We're a big Ryland Jones podcast. Um, he's settling into his offense, and he's starting to look really, really good. He takes like 100 charges a game. That's not a real stat. I made that up. Um, but, I mean, Ryland's really good. The whole starting five, even – you know, six, seven, eight deep on this team are really, really good, particularly on offense. So it's a fun year. It's going to be fun. Uh, make sure you're getting out of the St. Mary's game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a great team. Yeah, I'll just I'll add. Yeah. On Ryland Jones, he's averaging 5.4 assists per game, and that's the only major statistical category that somebody besides Justin Bean leads for the Aggies yeah. is the assists and the charges. Um, Ryland Jones, and he seems to force those charges in like the most pivotal points, like the one he forced against Oklahoma to get yep. that turnover, yeah. and then it turned into a Brock Miller three. So he's he's just a dude that just knows how to make the right play, and that's something I talked to Coach Dixon, and this will actually be – there's a story about Ryland Jones that one of our staff writers, Jake Ellis, wrote that will be in the the, basket, the 2021 Winter Sports Preview magazine, which, subtle plug, is dropping tomorrow night. You can get your copy if you go to the St. Mary's game. But there's a story about Ryland Jones in it, and there's a quote from Nate Dixon, and he says – Jones, he's not a guy that's going to just get you 20 points every night. And some maybe some fans kind of expect him to be that guy yeah. because he has those flashes of brilliance. And it's like, psh, why can't he do this every night? Yeah. But what Dixon said is he's going to be the guy that's going to make the right play for you every single game. And that's yeah. something that we've seen. I would like Jones' usage rate to go up, and it has in the past couple of games. I would too. I agree um, with you. Because you saw like the UC Davis game and the Penn game, he turned it on late and almost kind of took over offensively for the Aggies in both of those games. One of them, it, it was just enough, and they were able to eke by Penn and double OT. The other one against UC Davis, it wasn't enough. He turned it on too late. So it would be nice if he could have that urgency the whole game. But he's somebody similar to Bean that you can trust is going to um, play his game the right way and kind of get his job done every single night. So Yeah, exactly. He's averaging 10.6 points a game. Uh, 21 against Penn, 19 against New Mexico State. He actually didn't score against Carroll College. Um, so I think that might just be a combination of an off night plus starters not getting a lot of time. Um, but even then, he got seven assists. So he's just the guy that's making the right play all the time. So, yeah, he's, he's going to be more consistently, I think, called upon to score along with Justin Bean. Um, yeah, let's just reiterate. Make sure you're at that game. Wear black. Pack the spectrum. I mean, seriously, let's bring it. This is going to be such a fun game. This is going to be one of the bigger home games of the year out of the conference. It's probably the biggest home game that's not in the conference this year, I would say. Because oh, there are other big games. I mean, Oklahoma, Iowa, BYU, Weber, all on the road. So, final thing. Let's bring it. Final thing. If you don't need – if you need more incentive for some reason to get to this game, uh, the, the top prospect that Utah State's going after right now, 7-1 center William Berg from Sweden, he is going to be in attendance at the game. Um, he, it's his two finalists for where he's going to go to school are us and a team that's kind of playing decent basketball right now, Purdue. They're all right. They're all, they're doing all right. What are they? Number one, <laughs> in every single poll ever right now. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's someone that's going to be there. All so right. some steep competition there with, with Purdue. Let's make it loud. Let's yeah. Make a lasting impression on this. Yeah, team. Let's, let's do it. Um, all right, let's jump over to football. Uh, we have a lot to talk about on football. Um, championship game against the San Diego State Aztecs. It's been said, it's been floated around, that this might be the best team we play all year. Um, I don't disagree. I don't know that I I I don't know that I would say that quite yet, just because um, 
I think we're a little bit quick to discount BYU, even though, you know, I, I love discounting BYU. I love ignoring <laughs> them. Um, but I do think BYU is probably probably a better team. Um, it's tough to say. A lot of their similar opponents went similar ways in the games. They both beat Utah, uh, stuff like that. Um, but certainly one of the best teams will play all year. I think they're better than the Boise State team that, that came to Logan. Um, probably the best defense we will have played all year. How do you think we? Uh, how do you think this is going to look on Saturday? Yeah, I think that this is. I think BYU just had had enough playmakers that San Diego State maybe doesn't have. That At least offensively, give them the edge. Right. exactly. I mean, there's yeah. only one Tyler Algier, and he doesn't go to San Diego State. Exactly. Yeah, like you take Tyler Algier out of that game, Utah State might have won it. Yeah, but they, I mean, that's for yeah. I mean, for sure. Right? But that's they, almost like saying like take LeBron James out of the Cavs and they won't have won the finals. Like yeah, yeah. So. That's the thing. SDSU doesn't have Tyler Algier, but what they do have is just athletes and big dudes top to bottom. This this is my biggest concern about this game, is uh, this is something we hear all year from Anderson and also just you can just from watching them. And like Utah State, they often have the speed and talent edge because of DT. Because of DT, yeah, <laughs> and just because of Savon and even Johnny Carter and Shaq Bond. Like there's just right. speedsters yeah. all over the yeah. roster, but they have. Um, they have the disadvantage just with the size and physicality. And that's not to say they aren't yeah. physical, but just there's most there's a lot of teams that are bigger than them. And we've seen that like the Colorado State game. Oh, definitely, yeah. They were bigger. Utah State was still able to edge it out. But then we've seen it we've seen it Biden, like the, the Wyoming game. Wyoming was a little bit bigger and that was kind of I think just after week after week after week of an emotional grind, the yeah. bubble was gonna burst. Well, physical too, physical and emotional grind. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's kinda what happened in the Wyoming game. But the thing about San Diego State that really concerns me is they have the physicality edge right, and the size edge. But another thing is when I'm watching them, they might have the speed edge. They Take might, away DT, yeah. they might have the speed edge. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're playing in the championship game for a reason as well. You know, they're 11-1, um, and 1, 19 and, in the know, country for a reason. They had a tougher schedule than we did. Um, but, but like you said, I mean, that's something we talked about on the, on the Monday morning show is Utah State has been – smaller than a lot of the teams that we we played we talked about off the top of my head at the time i think i said there was like six teams that i could think of at the top of my head they're just flat out bigger and we went four and six in those games but yeah as you said Colorado state was probably bigger than us uh wyoming was probably bigger than us and like i said on monday i want to reiterate that doesn't mean better necessarily but when you're talking about up front in those lines bigger is better um and you like the size size matters when you're up front so for them to win a lot of those games where they were outsized, have you know heavily relying on that speed advantage, um, was huge. I think a lot of it was like you said the speed advantage and also the mental toughness and the physical just raw toughness of the team. But you might be taking away that speed advantage against the San Diego State Aztecs team. Uh, a lot of times this year it's been kind of a sports car versus a monster truck. Um, I'm not sure if that's what it is this game. I mean San Diego State is. They're a well-oiled machine. They don't have any holes the way some of these other teams that we've played have. You know, they're they're well-rounded. They're good. I mean, obviously the defense is the star. The defense is what has stood out all year and and won them a lot of games that could have gone either way. But their offense is among the top in the country and uh, you know certainly in the top of the conference. Yeah, if you're looking at what does Utah State have a leg up in, it's it's their passing attack compared to yep. San Diego State's and. It's been interesting because Lucas Johnson has been the quarterback, and he was. They pulled him in the Boise game, and I don't know if he was injured or they just didn't think it was clicking. But they brought in Jordan Brookshire, and Brookshire 
showed up in the middle of the second quarter and he was 11 of 15 passing for 192 yards he he added a, a rushing touchdown and all of a sudden it's just this dynamic guy but when it's the last game of the season and you're like still having like quarterback deals like like yeah. they don't have a solid solidified quarterback guy that's just gonna you know he's gonna get you 250 plus passing yards that's a concern Utah State has that in Logan Bonner as long as he's healthy on Saturday, which every indication is he will be. Yeah. And that's something that Utah State has is obviously obviously the, the San Diego State's secondary is really difficult. But uh, you look at the numbers, you look at the playmakers with DT and Brandon Bowling and Derek Wright, and yeah, that's where that's where the Aggies have the edge is yeah. in the, the receiver court and they have an established quarterback. So. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because – there's a lot of things going on in that quarterback situation on both sides of the ball. Uh, I want to focus on their quarterback situation for a second um, because quarterback problems are something that Justin Rice, Nick Henniger, Byron Vons, Kevin Metzenheimer, uh, Ajani Carter, Hunter Reynolds, A.J. Vongpachong, Shaq Bond, those guys are going to eat that for lunch. Like If you have a team having quarterback problems, that's something those guys are going to really take advantage of. Uh, Cam Lampkin in the backfield. You know, I mean, there's so many guys on this team that – if you don't have a good quarterback, these guys are going to get to him either in the backfield or make him pay when he puts the ball in the air. Um, and so quarterback problems, I mean, there's a reason that the quarterback's the highest paid player in, you know, leagues that you can get paid to, paid for playing. But the like, quarterback like is – the SEC. Yeah, yeah, the SEC <laughs> and the NFL. Um, the quarterback's the most important part of the team, arguably. I mean, it's a team sport for a reason. But if you're having quarterback problems, this Utah State defense is going to really take advantage of that. That being said, um, on our side of the ball, uh, you mentioned Logan Bonner being healthy. Hopefully that's the case. Um, but just as an injury update, Andrew Peasley's out. And Andrew Peasley, he went down on his shoulder. If you watched the last game against New Mexico, he went down on his shoulder and won't be playing on Saturday. Um, Andrew Peasley hasn't been playing that often, but the way Logan Bonner gets hit in the backfield – um, that could be significant. I would be surprised if Cooper Lega didn't see action in this next game um, because Logan Bonner just gets hit so hard. He's been taking a beating for 12 weeks now, um, and that's why Andrew Peasley played in the last game. I think he's played in the last two games basically because Logan Bonner is just was just getting beat up. So Andrew Peasley's not healthy. Logan Bonner, like you said, all indications show that he should be but he has been getting beat up. Hopefully he's healthy and ready to go and can take a majority of those snaps, but I wouldn't be surprised if our third-string quarterback takes a couple snaps in this game. You know, it's kind of like wee boxing. You know wee boxing. You play it as a kid. Yeah, of course. There's, like, like the lever, and it always, like, the, the, the further over it is, like, the more likely you are to get knocked down. Yeah. Bonner for the past six games has been, like, like completely hovering over that lever, and every time he gets hit, he falls down. Yeah. And without, without fail – kind of like what it seems like in Wii Boxing. It seems like, oh, maybe he's down for the count. He always gets back up. Yeah. But, that's, he, but whether, he it's, whether it's him getting up on his own or his lineman picking him up and him <laughs> staying on his feet, the dude doesn't stay down. For Yeah, he's yeah. the toughest kid around. But he does stay down for a few seconds, meaning he comes off the sidelines sometimes. Peasley's yeah. made his guest appearance, thrown a ball or two, right? Yeah. And that's within a, in a game like this as tight as it'll – probably be if Utah State wants to win um yeah we probably to your point we probably will see Cooper Lagos potentially in a drive or a series 
if Logan Bonner just is out of commission for a few minutes, right? And yeah. so that's something that is a concern, not even necessarily that we don't believe in Cooper Legas, but if you haven't played all season and all of a sudden you're thrown against the best defense in the conference, like that's not really a, a fair position game. in the championship yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love Cooper. I think he's probably going to, you know, be a great, great quarterback. Um, but yeah, that's not really a fair situation to have him. Like, I think he technically took like one snap last game or something, but it was like in victory formation um, or like a handoff or something. Um, if he's going to be relied upon to actually play in a drive where it's like, hey, we need you to see, you know, why don't you go out there and see if you can score or get us in field goal range? Like, we need you to move the ball. Um, you know, he came in against New Mexico and it was just like, don't give up 45 points in the next 10 seconds. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of low stakes. But uh, this could be a big game where it's like, hey, look, we're, we're down six. Logan Bonner has to come out for concussion protocol or for whatever. We got to go take a look at him. We have the ball. You got to go make something happen, kid. Like, that's something that's that's not – you know, that's not fair to put on the guy. And um, I do trust, you know, Andrew Peasley, Cooper Lega, Josh Calvin, everybody we have on the roster. I think we have that next man up attitude, but uh, that's a tough situation to be in. Um, you hope, though, I mean, you know, it could be a good thing to see Cooper Lega for a couple reasons because, one, it's, uh, you know, they, you really hope that they just do whatever they have to do to keep Logan Bonner healthy. Um, and, two, there's a good chance Cooper Lega will be here longer than Peasley and Bonner. So uh, it's never, never a bad thing to get younger guys' snaps and experience, but. Um, the championship game isn't when you want to be doing that. So hopefully Logan Bonner's healthy, and if he's getting beat up, you know, above all else, you want to make sure you're doing anything you can do to keep him healthy and make sure he's all right. Um, but, yeah, you'd, you'd prefer to see Logan Bonner, and then if he has to come out, maybe uh, Andrew Peasley just because of experience. But we'll see what happens. I, I don't think it's going to be I, – I have no indication saying that it's going to be a huge deal or that Cooper is going to have to go and, and – split time 50-50, but like I said, there's a good chance we see him for for a couple drives, especially late in the game, Um, especially if the game isn't close. So we'll we'll see how that goes, but a little bit of a quarterback, uh, a little bit of a quarterback issue on both sides of the ball, Um, and we'll see how how that plays out. Yeah. No, it's – I have an additional worry. Well, I I got a lot of worries, and I'm not going to share all (laughs) of them. Like, if you're in a championship game, of course you're going to be playing a really good team. Yeah, of course. I, I will bring up another thing, though, that I saw from the San Diego State-Boise State game is when Boise got behind and it was clear they kind of had to pass the ball. And Utah State, I, Anthony Tucker loves that balance attack, and they're going to hand the ball off. Right. But we all know we've seen enough games that they're not going to win with the running game if they can keep their head above water in the running game and have enough yeah. big plays, like enough first downs from the ground to keep them honest. That's huge. But it's going to require the passing attack to win the game. Yeah. Last week against Boise State, when Boise State got down, Batchmeyer started having to throw the ball a bunch. And SDSU, they were just like Caleb McDonald and all their linebackers, they were just dropping them back into the secondary. Yep. And the Aztec front line, if, whether they were rushing three or four, they had no problem like rushing the quarterback. Batchmeyer, he still didn't have any time. And that defense, they completely shut down Boise State in the second half because they were turned into a pass-first offense. And their offensive line just couldn't stop the front guys. So literally, yeah. there were there were yeah. seven and eight guys in coverage, and it just shut everything down. And so that's something that it's going to be so pivotal for the for the offensive line. Jacob South probably won't be playing, but for Quazel Wide and Alfred Edwards and Chandler Dolphin, these guys they got to play assignment sound and take just take care of the guys in front of them. Because if 
if you force SDSU's hand so they have to bring more blitzes and rush some of their linebackers, that, that, that's what you need because that's how the, the field gets open. And But if the offensive line, if they just simply cannot stop some of these defensive guys right in the front four, then it just yeah. it might be a long day. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. Like, that's what we talk about when we talk about like these suffocating defenses. We just talk about like if you can get away with rushing three guys, still get into the backfield and drop everybody <laughs> back into <laughs> drop everybody else back into coverage. What are you supposed to do? Because um, you don't have time to get open. If you put the ball in the air, they're gonna just pick it out of the air. Um, so that's what we talk about. Like with these elite defenses, like that's what they do. They they cause problems in the backfield and put pressure on the quarterback at the same time. A lot of teams, even like average to pretty good teams, you got to choose one. Like, are we going to blitz the quarterback? Are we going to get in uh, get in his grill and cause problems? Or are we going to drop back into coverage? You don't get both. If San Diego State can get both, which they've done a lot against Boise State, great team, um, that could be a problem. The other thing about that is we do not want San Diego State to determine our game plan. Because once their defense starts telling our offense what we can do, it's over. Um, we talked about this a lot all year. Utah State proved us wrong about this time and time again. We can't afford to play from behind against this San Diego State team. I'm, like, laughing as I say that because we've played it from behind in almost every game. Um, and, you know, notably, I think we talked about it against Air Force. Uh, Air Force is a team that you generally can't afford to play behind against and we've you know we've played from behind against air force and won when you put um, up 650 yards and that's when you can afford to play from behind yeah it's yeah yeah exactly i don't know that we're gonna get 650 yards against san diego state if we do um that'd be amazing but san diego state if they get out to a two-score lead they're just gonna they're just gonna decide what we can and can't get away with on offense because we you know we're gonna have to throw the ball and if they know what's coming it's gonna be a long long day so Utah State's going to have to get out in the first quarter and, you know, even if it's not score first, even if, you know, we've seen success, I think it was against Colorado State, where it was just like, all right, no one's going to score in the first quarter. You know, we're just going to slow the game down long enough for us to get settled in, and then it's an even match for quarters two, three, and four. But uh, Utah State definitely can't give up a huge lead to San Diego State because if they do, that San Diego State defense is just going to sit on it because we, we just can't let them decide what we can get away with. We can't let them determine our game plan. We have to be in the driver's seat controlling this game or else they're going to they're gonna suffocate our offense and uh, it could be a long day. Yeah, no, Utah State, they need to be the ones imposing their will on the Aztecs, like you said. Um, yeah. A lot of things have to go right. They obviously, Aggies, are, what are the, I saw they're five-and-a-half-point underdogs, which – is very fair. Some of the games they've been underdogs. I've been like, yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, were, were you really? Were they really underdogs against San Jose State? Clearly not. Um, this one, they definitely are underdogs. They are underdogs, yeah. and it's it's going to take potentially the best performance of the season to get it done. But this is what it's about: is they've earned the right to be here. They won the Mountain Division. Yep. And this is this is your prize: is you go up against the best to see if you can be the best. So. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So. Huge game coming up. Um, I'm super stoked to uh, to be uh, to be watching it. Um, let's talk a little bit before we move on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mountain West postseason awards for football that were given out. Um, let me just go through them real quick, or the the relevant ones, I guess, and then we'll 
Um, I'm sure have some words about that. Offensive Player of the Year, Carson Strong, the junior quarterback out of Nevada. Defensive Player of the Year, Cameron, Tarm Cameron Thomas, junior D-lineman out of San Diego State. Uh, special Teams Player of the Year, Matt Ariza, junior. Uh, he's a punter, kicker out of oh San Diego God. State. And then Coach of the Year, Coach Blake Anderson, Utah State. Wait, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was Brady Hoke of San Diego State because – they got the easiest one wrong. I mean, I have I have a couple issues with a couple of those, but coach of the year Brady Hoke. No disrespect to Brady Hoke. I mean, I mean, he's the other team in the championship game, but are you kidding me? Yeah. So similar to or unsimilar to uh, the basketball um, votes. Basketball for the Mountain West, there are two separate polls. There's the media poll, and then there's the coaches poll. Yeah. And then the coaches one is the most reputable. I, I this is similar to the Nemeus Ken and Matt Mitchell thing. Nemeus yeah. was clearly the player of the year. Clearly, I, statistically, just what he did for the team gave it to Matt Mitchell, anyways, because the coaches they just you kind of just that's the easy thing to do is just give it to the best player of the best team. I think the yeah. same thing happened here. There were there's media people that voted, and if you looked at their ballots, like Scotty G released his ballot. Obviously, he voted on Blake Anderson, but because he has a brain. <laughs> Sorry. I would imagine I would imagine most of the media people did. Yeah. But yeah. I, I inquired yesterday, I'm like, wait, so how do these things really go down? Like it's is it a fifty fifty media coach coaches poll? And the reality is it's like eighty five, ninety percent on the coaches. Yeah. And the reality is the coaches they just kinda went with the best coach the, for the best uh, team. Yeah, the and coach of the best team. Now Brady Hope deserves some credit. Oh, in absolutely. The sense that yeah. He they were they were playing away from their home like they didn't have a home field this entire season and they went eleven and one still, but against good teams against good teams yeah, yeah but he didn't just come out of left field and do what he did this season and if you yeah. look at if you look at all the other accolades and you see how many San Diego State names are on there it's like well of of course they were the best team in the league if they have all these playmakers like that's yeah. not even a coach's thing it's not like Brady Hoke brought those guys in he's only a second year coach yeah so it's almost like he, he did a good job but it was maybe yeah. circumstances more than what he did himself yeah. which no, i absolutely agree and, and like i said like i mean no no disrespect to brady hoke i mean i just got done talking about how good the aztecs are and how tough of a game that's going to be and everything so obviously he's deserving of recognition he's deserving of of an award um and any other year it you know, I think that would have been the right call. A guy who's playing all of his home games in a city 100 miles north of where you're from and, and all that. But, I mean, for Blake Anderson to take from what we were last year to this year, um, I thought that I thought that was like a no-brainer. I thought that would be no question Blake Anderson, coach of the year. So I was shocked. I mean, there there's conversation of Blake Anderson being the national coach of the year and not even the Mountain West coach of the year. So I was I was shocked. That was the biggest surprise to me. Because I thought that one was just, like, hands down Blake Anderson. Um, did you have any issues with the other ones, or were you? I had some issues. Let's um, I think Nick Henniger should have been second-team all-defense. He was fifth in the league in just yeah. TFLs and just his leadership and his impact. Nobody nobody in the Utah State defense got first-team. Justin Rice was a second-team linebacker. If you look statistically, that was fair for him to be a second-team, not a first-team. Um, but he was – Nick Henniger should have been right there with him. I agree. Devin Tompkins really should have been the offensive player of the year. Yeah, I was gonna bring up DT. I offensive player of the year. I'm I'm okay with Carson Strong. I would have been okay with Jake Hayner. Um, 
and Devin Tompkins as well. Like I think he's right up in there, right up there in that conversation. But but it's it's an easy it's an easy thing to choose the quarterback, right? But if you watch yeah, Utah so was, State, if you watch yeah. Utah State, Devin Tompkins, he he's got to be the offensive player of the year because one statistically he leads the nation in receiving yards. Like how many offense players in that West lead the country in their respective position? I think that's a pretty short list. Yeah. And well, I, I think yeah, it's it's not only Devin that, Tompkins and then I think like the punter wasn't it? Yeah, like, and then yeah, and, but no, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, DT. It's a short list. Yeah, and not only that, but it's not just what he's done. But we've talked about it a lot. But it's what he's provided for everybody else. All the wide receivers on Utah State have had incredible years. Four different guys touched caught touchdown passes last week against New Mexico, and none of them were named Devin Tompkins. Right. But you can guarantee Devin Tompkins was involved with every single one of those catches because just yeah how good he is, how much priority people, the defenses have to put on him, it's opened everything up. And I it's, it's led him to the championship game. And does that not mean anything to win a division and to, like a, for a wide receiver to do what he's done this season? Like if, if they're not going to give the offensive award to Devin Tompkins this year, it will never, ever go to a non-quarterback, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's just too easy to give it to the quarterback. And the, like that's why I was like kind of okay with it, just because like that that's how it goes with offensive player of the year awards, you know. It's uh, so that wasn't like I I think it was wrong. I think it should have gone to DT. Um, like I said, the coach of the year is the one that really just makes no sense. But um, yeah, San Diego State kind of eating up most of the uh, most of those postseason awards. Uh, it is weird. I I wonder how often it happens where a division champion. Doesn't have any of the players of the year, offensive, defense, special teams, freshman, or coach of the year, and only has one team on the first team, All Mountain West. How how often does that happen? I can't imagine that's. It it can't happen. Yeah, often I, at all. I, yeah, yeah. I I communicated with a few of the players yesterday, just like, what are your guys' thoughts on this? And kind of the reactions were one like disappointment, but kind of confusion a little bit. They're like, wait we just had this incredible season. Like, you know, we're not even recognized for this. But then also just a massive chip on their shoulder, right? Because yeah. this is a team that's been yeah. proven wrong all season long. And finally they get to the championship game. And, look, they're still being proven wrong, even though they are a 9-1 team. And so it's just another thing. If they don't have enough motivation going into Saturday, this is just another thing to, to pile on to get them angry and get them to try to – get out there and prove everybody wrong yeah uh one more name that comes to my mind um i know i'm a huge fan of this guy i think we all are how is Savon scarver not all mountain west first team for kick return he's the number one tied for number one all-time kick returns for touchdown i mean i i, I don't get that one either well who, i mean i i get jordan bird from san diego state is is good but who i'd else? rather kick to jordan bird than Savon scarver who else in the league has like Special teams completely alter their game plan when Savon Scarver is on the other side of the field, right? Yeah. Like they, they don't kick it to him. Like it's an automatic either 25 yards or Dude, Savon Scarver is so good that they force teams to kick to Devin Tompkins. <laughs> How out of your mind do you have to be to intentionally kick to Devin Tompkins? Like Savon Scarver is unreal. He he forces teams to kick to the best receiver in the nation right now. That's how good he is. And he's second team all Mountain West kick returner? Are you kidding me? It's kind of like in the early 2000s where uh, Barry Bonds, he led the country or led the league yeah. in walks because no one would pitch it over to the plate. But he he didn't win the batting title every year because other guys 
actually got good pitches over the plate. Yeah. Well, so, they, like that's a perfect example. Like they would intentionally walk Barry Bonds with the bases loaded. Like people, like that would happen often. Like people would intentionally walk in a run to avoid pitching to Barry Bonds. That's exactly what it is with Savon Scarber. Yeah. Like you're gonna give up 35 yards to Devin Tompkins because you're scared of Savon Scarver running up six on you. Yeah, they'll they'll do these little pooch kicks that are yeah. gonna let the Aggie offense start at 30. Yeah, and. Yeah, his, and no, I, I that one, that one kind of and he's still and he's still return one this season. Yeah, he's, he's still, still got, got one. <laughs> yeah, Savon is just an unbelievable talent. Um, yeah, I think snubs all up and down for Utah State to be to be honest. Logan with you. Bonner should have been an honorable honorable mention. Yeah, the fact that Logan Bonner wasn't even like an honorable mention, like I, I don't know, like I, I get that you're not going to put him. You know, I mean, first team or second team would be really, you know, those are kind of out of the question because you have Jake Hayner and. Uh, Carson Strong, but then, like, and I get that it's it's hard to give an award like that to somebody who didn't even win the job coming out of camp, right? Like, there was still a battle going in for a couple games. So I, I get all that, but, like, not even an honorable mention for all of his touchdowns. His 35 touchdowns don't even get him an honorable mention. So, yeah, snubs up and down. Chip on the shoulder for uh, for this game against Andrew State. Hopefully it hopefully it gets gets the job going, or hopefully, hopefully it gets the boys going because, you know, a lot of those awards that should have gone to Utah State went to the Aztecs, so hopefully they play angry. Oh, they will. I think they will. Um, all right, Jacob, it's my favorite time of the week. Let's go over the Mountain West football schedule for the next <laughs> for the next week. We have on Saturday Utah State playing at San Diego State. Uh, so, what's your must watch game of the week? Oh, that's a tough one. A long list this week. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the Aggies and the Aztecs, right? It's got to be. It's got to be. be. That's mine too. That's mine too. Um, man, it feels good to be playing in championship week. This is so much fun. Um, I could get used to this for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Anything else for uh, football, basketball, anything else? Are we going to drop our predictions for, for Saturday? Uh, go ahead. Oh, man, I don't want to, actually. You don't want to? Yeah, I'm always wrong. Well, nah, screw it. I'm dropping them. Yeah, go for it. All right. San Diego State's going to win this one, 27 to 21. Okay. And then prediction on bowl? Bowl, it will be the Arizona Bowl. Okay. Um, I think we win. I think we're playing in the LA Bowl. Any predictions on other conferences? Um, I think that Georgia beats Alabama. Yeah. And I was going to upset Michigan. Okay. No, I don't actually think they will, but I <laughs> hope they do. That would be hilarious. Yeah, it would. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, I don't really care, though. I don't really care. You nothing know, in, nothing the, for the Pac-12? The Aggie, I, what's going on in the Pac-12? Like Oregon, Utah? Yeah, like I, don't, like I said, <laughs> I don't really care. Yeah, no, the, the important <laughs> one's Utah State. No, nah, it'd be State. great if our if our uh, if our uh, our friends down in the south could win win that game, make it to the Rose Bowl. No, that'd be I'd be happy for that. That'd, that'd be good be for great. that program for sure. And honestly, like, we haven't talked about it much on the show, but that program has just been through so much. Um, it'd be good for the program to see them win one. Yeah, it's hard to root against a program that's uh, been through what they've been through the past couple of years. So yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll 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 leave a go Utes for for them because I, I hope they win and uh, get that chance to play in the Rose Bowl. Um, yeah, anything else? I don't know. I think that does it. All right, that's it for me. We will talk next week to cover the Mountain West Championship game, which we are playing in. Man, it feels good to say that. Um, We'll see you next week. Go Aggies.